Hey, y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Bison Coolers, 100% American-made coolers. They're built not only for the outdoorsman or woman, but also for the weekend warrior type. You know, maybe uh, college football tailgating is your thing, or you're taking the wife and kids camping for the weekend. Either way, Bison Coolers has you covered. They're family-owned and offer great customer service, and you can find their entire lineup of coolers, tumblers, bottles, and other Bison gear by visiting bisoncoolers.com. And the Lone Star Outdoor Show podcast is also brought to you by PhoneScope. If you're looking for that long-range footage, whether you want to hook it up to your spotting scope, binos, or whatever your choice, it doesn't matter, PhoneScope is the only option. It's the smartphone optics adapter, the originator, not the imitator. So capture, record, and share with PhoneScope. Literally, you're recording with your smartphone while it's looking through your optics. So check it out, PhoneScope.com. And you'll save 10% off your order if you use the promo code Lone Star. Lifted beer bottles, rattle on my pistol, on the seat of my Chevy pickup truck. And I'm taking these gravel roads as fast as my truck. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. A little Chris Knight, Becky's Bible kicking things off for us here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. It's so great to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I sincerely do appreciate each and every one of you for sharing a part of your day with me, whether you're tuned in to one of our 30 radio affiliates uh, or if you're checking out the podcast on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or our website. We're just glad to have you. So thanks for being here. Uh, We've got a great show lined up for you today. We'll be all over the map, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, But off the top, if you haven't heard by now, There was a new state record hammerhead shark caught off the Texas coast a couple weeks ago. Actually, during a tournament, obviously it won, uh, weighed 1,033 pounds, crushing the previous state record. And we have the angler that caught that fish, uh, Tim McClellan, set to join us for a tell-all exclusive interview on uh, all things shark fishing and reeling in that catch of a lifetime. So cool stuff coming up on that front. Then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go on a little rant. The state of California recently discovered the second wolf pack living in the northern part of the state. That is bad bad news because I guarantee you, with California's mindset towards wildlife management, not only are those wolves gonna get a scot free pass. And trust me, I'm not advocating for the eradication of wolves. I just want wolves to be managed at a uh, sustainable level where they're not decimating the resources that fund all wildlife conservation in this country. So California has a piss poor track record when it comes to (laughs) scientific based wildlife management. They prefer to manage wildlife based on emotions. as evidenced by banning um, mountain lion hunting or using hounds to hunt black bear and bobcats here in just very recent memory. 
Uh, so, you know these wolves are going to get a pass, and the antis value the life of a wolf more than that of a person, especially a hunter. Uh, so, interesting stuff coming up on that front. We'll take a historical look back at the reintroduction of wolves in this country and how they have now moved from Idaho, Wisconsin, and Montana into Oregon, Washington, and now California. So, I'll get on my soapbox there for a minute, uh, but the cool thing is, I posted this on Instagram asking what y'all's thoughts were, and I'm going to read about oh, seven or eight of y'all's replies. Some of them pretty funny, uh, some of them spot on, and a couple of them just kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll share some of y'all's feedback on that topic as well. Uh, then we'll visit with Dr. Nancy Rabelais. There is a dead zone the size of the state of Vermont that exists right now in the Gulf of Mexico, it is not sustainable for aquatic life, meaning, think about that, the size of the state of Vermont. Uh, bad news for the shrimping, the fishing, uh, both recreational and commercial uh, side of things uh, as far as those industries are concerned. Just bad, bad news. And it's caused by agriculture in Midwestern states. How can that be? We'll explain it coming up here in just a little bit with Dr. Rabelais of LSU. Then we'll wrap up today's show with a segment called Summertime Blues, and we'll dive into warm weather blue cats with our old buddy, Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors. So a little uh, catfish fishing coming at you here at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. A couple other things to mention. Don't forget that our July Photo of the Month contest is rocking and rolling. We are offering up an all-seasons feeders barbecue pit slash smoker, 24 by 20, valued at 300 bucks. All you have to do to enter is send in your best hunting or fishing photo. You can email it to LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com, post it on our Facebook page wall, or use the LSOS photo contest hashtag on Instagram. No matter how you send it in, just send it in, and we'll get you entered into this month's contest. Uh, also, our 12 monthly winners from 2017 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy black buck or axis deer with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch, another great grand prize trophy hunt package offered up by Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Havilon Knives cap, t-shirt, and we'll throw in a Lone Star beer koozie and a lone star outdoor show sticker so a diverse prize pack today to the third person to text in the word wolf that's wolf to 214-289-7807 text in wolf to 214-289-7807 and you could win the Havilon lone star beer and lone star outdoor show prize pack uh, that segment by the way brought to you by rudy's barbecue let's take a break we've got a lot to get into and up next, we'll be joined by Tim McClellan, and we'll hear the fishing tale of a lifetime regarding his 1,000-plus pound hammerhead shark caught off the Texas coast. That's next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Wow, 
The Texas Trophy Hunters Association is proud to bring you the 2017 Hunters Extravaganza. Check out the latest in deer hunting gear and technology. Meet Pigman, Bruce Mitchell of Swamp People, and Kenyon Bankston from Southern Boys Outdoors. Bring the kids to see Gator Country's live alligators, Joe Martin Snakes of Texas, and more. See last year's biggest bucks from all over Texas in the annual deer competition. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns to Houston at NRG Center August 4th through 6th. For details or online tickets, visit huntersextravaganza.com. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing, a fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Tidal Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TidalRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's, once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. And if I had a boat, I'd go out on the ocean. And if I had a pony, I'd ride him on my boat. And we could all go. Go out on the ocean, set me up on my pony on my There's a little Lyle Lovett bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. If I had a boat is the name of that one there. And here's what I'd do if I had a boat. I'd uh, I'd go catch a 1,033-pound hammerhead shark, right? <laughs> no. But our next guest did just that, and uh, we will get into the new Texas State record hammerhead, one of the largest hammers ever caught in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, here momentarily with Tom McClellan. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses, who recently partnered up with O-Search for a collaborative shark conservation effort. And if you want to check out the new Tiger Shark Frames, at CostaDelmar.com. A percentage of the proceeds from each sale will go back into shark conservation. You can find it all along with their entire lineup of sunglasses right there at CostaDelmar.com. All right. Uh, Well, without further ado, let's bring him on right now. I know it's been an overwhelming few days for our next guest. As every outdoor news media outlet has been trying to track him down, uh, he was nice enough to grant us an exclusive interview, though. And so joining us now from the Texas coast, it's my pleasure to welcome Tim McClellan to the program. Yeah, no problem. I imagine it's been a whirlwind uh, couple days for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, little, a little crazy. Didn't expect everything. Uh, I'm a simple guy. And, uh, yeah. I don't have Facebook. I don't have no internet connections. and uh, <laughs> I hear about it, but... Uh, it's uh, pretty wild. Yeah. Well, and I got your info from the JCs. I think it's the, uh, was it called the Tackle Box Fishing Tournament? 
uh, tackle time. Uh, I think that was the fiftieth, 55th year uh, annual tournament. Uh huh. Yeah, and he said that uh, he kind of said you were a simple guy. He said uh, he, you know, he, he's a regular guy, works a regular job. Just call him in the afternoon when he's off work. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. Yeah. I don't. I don't mind talking to anybody. It's just I don't. That's I'm only. You can come to my house or call me on the phone. That's about right. all I got. And now, and so where are you from? I was born and raised in Texas City, uh, Texas City, Texas. Lived there 37 years uh, and just relocated here recently about two or three months ago to Lake City, Texas. Mm-hmm. Right on. And uh, Tim, how long have you been shark fishing? Uh, my first uh, official shark trip was probably in 1994, so 20-plus wow. uh, years. Uh-huh. Is that your? Is that predominantly the species, or the? Is that what you're predominantly after? Or, uh, uh, no, uh, I got hooked on uh, offshore fishing when I was young. Uh, you never know what you're going to catch when you drop your line offshore. Uh, I like the snapper and you know grouper and kingfish and ling, amberjack, all that stuff. Oh yeah, and a uh, dolphin. Uh-huh. My wife loves dolphin. So. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. Shark was just kind of in there in the mix, you know. And when I was a little kid, that that tournament I spoke about, tackle time, uh-huh. uh, it's one of the tournaments. When I was a little kid, my parents would take me out there, you know, two or three years old, just to see if any sharks were being weighed in, huh. uh, and to look at them. And that's what got me hooked. And I said, well, when I get older, I want to go shark fishing. Right. Well, so so talk about this tournament. I I imagine it's a. Uh, I mean, I know there's different prizes for you know X category you know, broken down by species of fish. Um, is it a Calcutta or is it just an open invitation or, I mean, open to anybody? It, it's a public tournament. It's open to anybody. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a set prize amount. Uh, there's there's no extras. Uh, that All proceeds go uh, to the JCs. Uh, they put on the fireworks for Tech City for the mm-hmm. 4th of July. Uh, I think... Uh, they do a lot, you know, a lot more charities than just the fireworks. But uh, it's their biggest money maker of the year, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sharks draw the people. People come out in the afternoons when they get off work just to see if the leaderboards change or catch a glimpse of somebody weighing fish in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's not just an offshore tournament; it's inshore also. Trout, redfish, flounder, uh, kids for hardhead, sand trout, crabs, croakers, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so, and so is there a payout too? Yeah, uh, we really don't do it for the money because the money really doesn't cover much of the expenses. Right. But uh, I mean, it, it yeah, it helps out. Uh-huh. But it's more about uh, uh, thumping yourself on the chest. You know, it's a competition. Uh, we uh, we've been, you know, you get in this say tackle time. Uh, people have been fishing this their whole life, you know, and and, and it's just a a, a one week competition between you know friends. So, okay, so it's a one-week tournament, and yeah, uh, normally runs two weekends. So okay, starts on Saturday and it normally ends on uh, the following Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got that amount of time to do your business to right. go catch the biggest fish you can catch. Uh huh. Well, and you took that to new heights this week with a giant. Uh, it was a, it was a one thousand thirty-three pound hammerhead, which destroyed the previous state record it was something like 860 or 70 pounds or something like that uh 30 something year old record so you smash that and then we didn't set out to set the record yeah everybody leaves the dock wanting the biggest fish they can catch uh we didn't think we had a state record we knew it was a big fish but you know 
you don't know what the fish weighs until you get it to the scale. Sure. We were just hoping, uh, when we left the dock, we were up against a 965 pound tiger shark. That yeah. was like 85, 86% of the state record. And that's how that tournament set up. So we knew, uh, there was a very good chance we were not going to place in this tournament. <laughs> uh, the expectations, you know, were kind of low, but you, you can't go fishing thinking, you know, you, you can't do it mm-hmm. uh, or you wouldn't go. So uh, that didn't hold us back. Uh, we seen the guy out there. He had another fish. So now we're trying to beat two fish. Uh, and uh, yeah, we went to a different spot and, uh, about how many miles out do you guys go, or were you, you know, for this tournament? Uh, you don't have to give us GPS fi- coordinates. But... Yeah, no, we fish anywhere from 30, 30 to eighty miles. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so it wasn't like, it wasn't in state waters, and it was in no federal waters. Right. Uh, uh-huh. We like fishing broken bottom or wrecks. We don't mess with oil wells or anything like that. Yeah. We okay. like some kind of structure uh, to hold fish, and then we think sharks. You know, we're not. We're not gurus, but we think sharks are nocturnal and your best chance is, you know, at night. I'd caught, that was the third fish I'd caught. I'd caught a small hammer, let it go, caught a small bull. Well, say small, it was about 350 pound bull, uh-huh. let it go. And uh, about 11 o'clock underneath a full lit moon, full moon, this fish got on the line. <laughs> and what did it hit? Jackfish. Cat, jackfish? Yeah. Okay. Half of a jackfish. Uh huh. Okay, awesome. Um, well, my shark fishing has been limited to, uh, Bob Hall Pier. Uh, I've heard about the pier. Yeah. Uh, Corpus Christi. There's some state record tigers caught off of that, I believe. Yeah. Albert Zertouche, I think, uh, he's caught a huge one off of there, uh, five years ago or so. But, um, I mean, it's, a uh, the pier, pier fishing is a little different, but I mean, these guys are running out, uh, entire bonita fish a mile in a kayak. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh yeah, shark fishing uh, is probably not true in every aspect. Uh, people that fish off the beach or the kayaks or the boats, probably everybody has their different style. Uh, and, and probably every approach is a little bit different. Uh, you know, we fish out of a boat where when we do get a fish on, like in this instance, uh, we couldn't stay on anchor. The fish was trying to take all the line off the reel and uh, had to let go of the anchor huh. uh, to chase down the fish. and. Me and chase down the fish. Uh, we were having to maneuver the boat. Uh, had a good captain behind the wheel. Uh-huh. Uh, kept on point, and uh, we uh, chased it down. After it was being off the anchor and having the shark pulling the boat, uh, you know, it was pulling the boat plus taking drag. But we actually had to put the motors in gear just to just to hold line on the reel and even to wow. make line up. Uh, That's it was the hardest fish I'd ever ever had to reel in how long did it take you uh, a little over two hours a little two, over two hours, hours. Wow. wow so if you wouldn't have Three. been in a boat would there have been any chance of of catching this fish do you think let's say you uh, hooked into this thing with the your, the rig that you had uh on the beach or off the pier was i pro- mean pro- probably not okay. unless it just ran down the beach uh-huh. probably probably if it was going away from the beach Yes, it probably would have took the line off. Uh-huh. <laughs> a thousand pound fish, that's insane. Uh, uh, if anyone has That's what seen people it. people don't understand. You're, you're not, uh, people that don't fish that much, you know, your reel has drag. Mm-hmm. So you're just trying to wear the fish down 
like anything else, uh, you tie a rope around yourself and take off running, you're not going to run that far. Uh, it's just not an instant reel it up to the boat, you know. Yeah. Got to give them their time and play them down. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, I have heard a lot about hammerheads specifically, though. It's hard to catch and release them. And then I guess for this tournament, everything's brought in and weighed. So, I mean, it's not really a, for a big fish. It's not a catch and release tournament anyway. That's correct. Well, it was a catch of a lifetime for sure. And like you said, you've been a part of this tournament since you were, you know, your parents taking you there as a kid. And to, what was the biggest fish you caught before that? Just out of curiosity. Uh, to tell you the truth, it was hammerheads. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, I've caught uh, like a 519 pounder and a 528 pounder before. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was, I've caught many tigers, but uh, all, you know, just under 500. Wow. Uh, been a part of, you know, shark fishing in this. Uh, yeah, individual me, I caught the fish, but it takes a crew of people, you know, to pull the leader, uh, to help out maneuvering the boat, uh, to get it in the boat. There's other aspects that are involved. Well, so Tim, you hook into this monster, like you said, it took you two hours to get it to the boat. Um, when you saw how big this thing was, uh, did you think there was a chance it was a state record? And I know it was 1,033 pounds, but how long was it? The length was. 14 five inches oh, wow. uh, and the hammer was 39 and a half inches and the girth was seven feet uh, <laughs> give or take uh, we got the measurements written written down mm-hmm. uh, all of them uh, you know first first instinct was it was a big fish uh, then then you're trying to guess weight you know without it being on scale you really don't know you're look you're looking at the fish and trying to judge it uh, and how can we you judge thinking, it compared to, you know that someone else has already brought in a 960-pound uh, tiger shark. So Well, uh, it's, it's a guess. Yeah. I mean, oh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of an educated guess. The more you do it, the more fish you see. You kind of you know about what they should weigh. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you're off. And, and we were off. Uh, uh, C.B. Bailey, uh, they got one of the gentlemen that was on the boat was thinking it was 750 to 800. Uh, that was in the water, and then when we put it in the boat, uh, he said it's probably better than 800. And, mm-hmm. and I was thinking more 900, but I said there's no way if it's 900, it's gonna be a record. And uh, I just didn't think it was, you know, gonna happen. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I figured it would uh, fell in. You know, we we were looking for. We knew the numbers when we left on some of the fish uh, mm-hmm. for the bull shark and for the obviously for the tiger. We knew we'd had to beat 965. Uh, you know, and the hammer, I think it was in the 700, 720, we'd have to be, you know, this term is set up on this percentage of state record. So mm-hmm. we kind of knew the numbers and we, 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 we knew we had a good chance, you know, if we, if we kept that fish. So, uh, like I said, we released the, uh, small hammer and the small bull shark cause we didn't think that they could win, uh, you know, yeah. no sense killing a fish if it's not going to not going to win because that's what you're out there doing anyways yeah well so okay so yeah that's cool so it's set up on st- percentage of state record so that means whether it's a tiger a bull shark or a hammer the winning fish is just it's a, it, yeah it's a fair shake all the way across the board uh-huh. so uh oh, back cool. in the day they used to have uh a tiger a bull shark a hammerhead and an open shark division mm-hmm. uh, and open shark was set up on the state record uh and then it's been compromised down to just a one shark category but uh, gives it a fair shake because if you catch a bull, a big bull shark, say a 400 pound bull shark, it can't compete with a, you know, 
500 pound tiger, even though, you know, uh, yeah, it's more than 75 percent of the state record, and the tiger would only be that's you know, a cool format, 50 or less. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, uh, last thing I was going to ask you is what talk about your your rod and reel. Like I was telling you earlier, those guys I was fishing with on Bob Hall Pier, I never seen rod and reels that big. I mean, even for amberjack and grouper and stuff, uh, we've fished out of Port Aransas plenty of times, and I, these things were just mind boggling. Well, back in the day, I say back in the day, I'm still young. Uh, I watched Jaws like everybody else. <laughs> I had a, a big 12 aught. I've had 14 aughts, and I know a guy that has a 16 aught, and they they just got too heavy. And this, with a seven foot rod, that was just too much. Uh, hurt your back too much. 130 pound class rod. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've kind of scaled down to a stand up gear, uh, 100 to 130 pound class rod. Uh, we've been using AVET 50 wides, uh, two speed, uh, with a full of a 130 braid. Mm-hmm. And uh, the braid is real ab- abrasive resistant, uh, it doesn't stretch. Uh, and you can stay, you know, in the gimbal belt and your harness, uh, and, and with a bent butt, you know, uh, it helps out a lot, helps out a lot on your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it makes it a lot easier to, to fight the fish But that, you know, we don't have, we're fishing out of a 30 foot contender. We don't have a fighting chair. Uh, you know, we're sitting on the ice chest or leaning up against the side of the boat, like, you know, fighting the fish. Right. Well, earning it. <laughs> yeah. Earning every bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout awesome. a fight. Uh, it, it was pretty hard. You yeah. know, previous years, I fought one in the same spot, say about six years ago, uh, on a 12 aught uh, with 125-pound mono for four hours. And the line ended up breaking after a four-hour fight, uh, and i never seen the fish. Heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, heartbreaking. that was a long ride back to the anchor, uh, uh. quiet ride back. Mm-hmm. Jeez. We got this one. Yeah. We did get this one. Well, hey, if you want to uh, mention your crew members here, because I know it takes more than one guy to catch a shark this big. Yeah. Captain of the boat, boat owner, Dutch Kudeman. Couldn't have done it without him. Uh, C.B. Bailey. Uh, and our missing partner on the trip was Freddie Ramos. Mm. He couldn't make this trip. He had a prior engagement. One that he wouldn't want to miss, I'm sure. <laughs> He's a little sick. Yeah. yeah. As always, next year. Well, hey, Tim, thanks again, man. Congrats on the catch of a lifetime. Uh, it's an awesome feat. Thank you, sir. All right, there he goes. Tim McClellan, the new Texas record holder for Hammerhead Shark. 14 and a half feet, 1,033 pounds. What a monster. Could you all imagine hooking into something like that? I, I don't think I can, to be honest with you. But no idea what that tug would be like on the end of the line. Uh, <laughs> that's insane. Anyway, congrats to him. Uh, that segment brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available right now in that come-and-take-it can. Grab yourself a 12-pack on your way to the lake or to the whitetail lease. If you're filling feeders, clearing shooting lanes, there's a lot of work to be done. But uh, do remember, drink responsibly when enjoying an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, let's take a break. Up next, uh, some musings from the Wolf Den. There's some interesting stuff going on in California and Oregon regarding gray wolves. And uh, and who knows? I might rant. I might rave. I just might talk about it calmly. We'll have to see when we get there. But that's coming up next right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. If I'm not acting like myself lately, do it. 
Cable Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Need a new car or truck or your current vehicle worked on? Then stop by my buddy Justin's shop in Garland. Accelerate Auto Group does everything from oil changes to engine swaps. Scratch paint to custom car and truck builds, they do it all. Sales and consignment on everything from cheap commuter cars to investment grade, classics, and exotics. Also, all you outdoorsmen out there, check out the Kevlar coating for your truck. Always looking for good vehicles to buy as well. Call 469-300-9669 or visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com today. The Texas Trophy Hunters Association is proud to bring you the 2017 Hunters Extravaganza. Check out the latest in deer hunting gear and technology. Meet Pigman, Bruce Mitchell of Swamp People, and Kenyon Bankston from Southern Boys Outdoors. Bring the kids to see Gator Country's live alligators, Joe Martin's snakes of Texas, and more. See last year's biggest bucks from all over Texas in the annual deer competition. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns to Houston at NRG Center August 4th through 6th. For details or online tickets, visit HuntersExtravaganza.com. Took my first breath where the muddy grass spills into the Gulf of Mexico and the skyline's colored by chemical plants that put bread on the table of the working man where the working man does his best to provide safety and shelter. Smith welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Keep the Wolves Away is the name of that tune there by Uncle Lucius. Highly appropriate, too, uh, when it comes to our next topic. Uh, (laughs) Some interesting stuff to get into as Wolves continue to be, well, really, there's no doubt about it. They are the most controversial species that we deal with in North American wildlife management. Or, when it comes to wolves, a lot of people would say lack of wildlife management. Uh, But anyway, before we jump into some disturbing stuff coming out of the Northwest, this segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd love for you to join our ranks. I mean, this is a group of people who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To get plugged in, check us out at biggame.org. And remember, hunting is conservation. All right. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and dive into today's wolf discussion. Uh, And this is not something new. We've talked about it on the show in detail over the years. You know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service criminally uh, reintroduced wolves back into Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana in the mid-90s, claiming that they would give control of the populations over to the states once they reached a desired 
population goal, which would include, I believe it was 10 breeding pairs in each state. Well, guess what? 20 years later, and those states are still fighting tooth and nail for the right to manage their own wolf populations, even though the feds promised them that. Uh, Stuff has been hung up in court for decades and decades, and there's a lot of distrust and sense of resentment from those states and the people that live there and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and reasonably so. It's a difficult thing to stand there and lie to someone's face and then say, oh, yeah, no, you should trust me, and don't worry, I have your best interest at heart, because clearly wasn't the case. So fast forward to today, Oh, and also um, more wolves exist in the western Great Lake states than in the northern Rockies, and I'm talking about Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, but that wasn't part of the wolf reintroduction plan of the mid-90s, although <laughs> there are more wolves in those states now, uh, significantly more. Take Minnesota, for example. 2,278 wolves, according to the 2016 population survey. (laughs) That's a lot of freaking wolves. And so, why does it matter? Why does anyone care? Wolves don't attack humans uh, with any kind of regularity. Humans shouldn't be afraid of them. But wolves are decimating our wildlife populations. When it comes to deer in the Great Lakes, um, absolutely wiping out white-tailed deer. And when it comes to mule deer and, more importantly, elk in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, we've seen the same thing. And this is not opinion, folks. These are facts. If you go back and look at, say, Outdoor Life or Field and Stream in the 1970s and early 80s, and they talk about great elk hunting units, you can find the Lolo. I mean, it is a famous Idaho elk unit. And uh, if you wanted to kill a giant public land bull, that was the place to go. In North America. So, early 1990s, 16,000 head of elk in that unit. Today, they're lucky if there's 1,600. That's according to Idaho Fish and Game. Why? Wolf predation. So, and this doesn't even take into consideration the, the cattle ranchers and livestock owners out there who are losing X number of head of, of animals annually, which then the states are responsible for reimbursing them for. So, it's a big mess. And I mean, such a big mess that Idaho, uh, they have trapping and hunting seasons. But here's the deal. Hunters can't kill enough wolves to make a difference. They really can't. Yes, it's nice to go out and say that hunters harvest 70, 80 wolves a year. But in Idaho, they've got 770 wolves. So you're not doing anything. So Idaho, uh, they don't want to go on the show and talk about this. But it is true, and they do do it. Their biologists have told me that they absolutely kill wolves out of helicopters in mass numbers and it still isn't helping so you've got this problem and now wolves are expanding and that's what we're going to talk about today because uh here's a here's a population breakdown by state just so everyone's clear of of what's going on uh michigan 618 wolves minnesota almost 2300 wisconsin 870 Idaho, 770, Montana, 550, Oregon, 77, Washington, 48, and Wyoming, 340. So, that's right. Washington and Oregon, what are they doing in there? Well, wolves are expanding their range. So now we've got issues in Washington and Oregon. And if you aren't aware of what the social climate of Oregon is like, think an extension of California. Those wolves are protected 
And that, that number 77 is low. That was a 2015 number. It is now 120, uh, just so that we have the latest facts. Uh, and those wolves are protected. There is no plan, and there's nothing going on as far as any kind of trapping or legal hunting of wolves in Oregon. Well, now, this week, uh, news came out that a second pack of wolves has been found in Northern California. And I despise California, y'all. There's nothing good in California except for people who value wildlife more than human life. And that is a crying shame. They've proven how ignorant they are by outlawing mountain lion hunting. They no longer let uh, houndsmen run black bear or bobcats. So now that they actually, here's a bankrupt state that is having to pay hunters and trappers to go in and kill excess bear and mountain lion. Well, didn't they have a sustainable hunting program in place? They did, and they outlawed it, and they're, going to do the same thing with wolves. There's no doubt about it. So what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to talk about this because there, like we said, is a second pack of wolves just discovered in Northern California. And I do apologize to the Northern California hunters and anglers out there because there are still some good people living in Northern California. But it's the SoCal tree-hugging liberal machine that has left you bereft of any kind of... uh, option to manage wildlife in California pretty soon. And I do believe California will be the first state uh, to ban hunting completely. There's, I mean, the writing's on the wall. It's probably going to happen. And that is so sad because California, realistically, and you all know I love Texas, but California might be the most beautiful. I'll, I'll say it is. California is the most pretty state in this great country, but it is a heaping cesspool of dookie in my opinion because there's nothing good going on there uh and i feel so bad for the few outdoorsmen and women that still call california home y'all are welcome to move to texas and you guys and gals are coming to texas in droves by the day and we welcome you because if you hunt or fish you are okay with me just leave those california ideals behind um which i know y'all will Okay, otherwise you wouldn't be moving here. <laughs> uh, but so how do you think California, here's the question for today, and it's taken us a while to get to where we're going, uh, but it's important to talk about the history of wolves. Uh, so here is what I did. I, p- I put this on Instagram, and, and I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on how you felt the situation would be handled in California and whether or not you'd want wolves in your state, whatever state you call home. So... That was a question that I posed. Let's go through some of y'all's answers because there's some funny ones on here. Uh, I'm W3 says, I have no experience with them, but I would imagine they're worse than coyotes. So no, I would not like them in Pennsylvania. Hey, absolutely agree, brother. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to Jordan1228. Okay, Jordan's from Minnesota, so he's living this day in and day out. Uh, I'm from Minnesota, and they are pain in the ass. It doesn't help having PETA people bitching when a season opens up. Go up north, and you can hardly find a whitetail now. Wolves have knocked them all out. Go way farther north and try to find a moose. Yeah, not going to happen. It's really sad what they can do to the other species in an environment. We used to make an annual shed hunting trip each spring, way up in the middle of nowhere to go moose shed hunting. We stopped two years ago. 
because we used to come back with at least eight sheds. Now you can't even find one. All you see is wolf sign. Uh, 88 Husker from Nebraska says, hell, double no, I don't want them. Colby Moreland, everything in moderation. I'm not necessarily a fan of wolves, but they have their place in the ecosystem. Just need to be managed like bear and mountain lion. Hey, I agree with that, although I don't want them in Texas. Uh, but I totally I respect wolves. I don't want wolves eradicated. Let me make that exponentially clear. I think wolves are magnificent animals. Uh, but this is a country, the United States, that now has over 325 million people living here. So when folks tell me, well, you just let you just leave the wolves alone and, and let nature take its course, that doesn't work in a fractured landscape, my friends. Wolves have to live in the places that we have designated for them. Uh, there is no other way around it. Now, that ideal is so stupid. Uh, Travis Hedden 8 says, this is BS. I live in Northern California. We don't need wolves here. First they banned bobcat trapping and now they want wolves here. Looks like we're just going to protect the predators. And that's it. Uh, good point there. Uh, let's see. B-R-P-F-A-H-L. Coming from Minnesota, wolves are very beautiful creatures, but like all things in nature, they need to be controlled. I've seen pictures from 1950, 1900 to 1950 with 20 guys holding 20 deer. Now we're lucky to have 10 guys shoot Four deer. <laughs> if I had a choice between wolves or no wolves, I would choose no wolves. And here's another point. I'd rather see deer and moose than worry about my dog getting eaten by a wolf as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Wolves do attack uh, domestic pets with great regularity. Uh, war danger. There's <laughs> a funny one. Preserve the wolf. Drag his ass to the taxidermist. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, it's hard to say that you want them because look what happened at Yellowstone. Max Baca. Good point there as uh, wolves have decimated the elk herd and wiped out the shearers moose. You will not find a shearers moose in Yellowstone today. Uh, they are all but extinct in the park. Thank you, wolves. Uh, I come from a family ranch in southern Oregon and northern California. We don't have any death loss Yet, but my neighbors, also ranchers, have. It's all part of the environmentalist plan to force ranchers out of their grazing allotments so they can give the wolves back their, in quotation marks, natural habitat. That's from Clay Gordon uh, from Oregon in Northern California. Obviously, his family in the cattle and ranching business. Uh, so those are just a few of the 80-plus comments that y'all left on that Instagram post. Great discussion I certainly enjoyed seeing y'all's feedback and the uh, the yeah bring the wolves on to my state comments. Well, there was let's just say they were few and far between. Uh, I, I will say this: if people tried to introduce wolves in Texas, it just it wouldn't work because Texas is ninety eight percent privately owned. There's not enough open range uh, for wolves to thrive here. There there really just isn't. Uh, so maybe in the Davis Mountains, I, I don't know, but. I don't think it would work out, and I know that uh, landowners would shoot them on sight, and I have to say, I wouldn't blame them one bit. I'm all for following game laws, uh, but you got to protect what's yours, and uh, especially with the track record the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has with deceit and lies regarding wolves, you do what you got to do. Uh, 
that's all right with me. It's not like wolves are hurting. There's over 6,000 of them now in the lower 48. That doesn't even take into consideration the uh, 10,000 or more that live in Alaska. So there is the latest on the gray wolf expanding into Northern California. Pretty soon they will be decimating California's wildlife as well. And uh, the tree huggers will probably welcome them with open arms to do exactly that. Hey, one guy, I'm not going to say his name, but another funny comment on Instagram said, yeah, let's let the wolves into California. Maybe they'll eat all the tree huggers. <laughs> uh, funny stuff. Yeah, You guys and gals have a good sense of humor, but uh, this is a very serious issue. And I want to close it with this thought because there's a, and I think it's the most interesting phenomenon that exists in North American wildlife management, but the ideal that predators' lives are more important than elk or deer or moose or uh, a beaver or any other species out there. Uh, Why is that? Because they're not. I'll go back to seven, eight years ago when we first started this show. And we the first time we ever talked about wolves, it was with Ted Nugent. And he said, Cable, a deer is an elk, is a bear, is a wolf, is a duck, is a beaver, is an otter, is a sparrow. An animal is an animal, and it's up to us to manage them. It's our responsibility. And those were his words, and those have stuck with me uh, throughout all this time. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there. I know Ted's off his rocker a little bit, love him or hate him, but uh, that's probably one of the most profound things he's ever said. (laughs) And he said a lot of stuff, Uh, but it's true. Every species has a place on this earth. They do. It's just up to us to figure out how to manage them accordingly. So think about that, uh, because a wolf's life, it's no more important than an elk's. And I'd argue that it's less important, to be honest with you, because one of them's funding conservation and the other isn't. Take away all the elk and deer. You're not going to have hunting license sales to fund state wildlife agencies. You're not going to have Pittman-Robertson dollars from sporting goods sales. And the trickle-down effect is you're not going to have widespread wildlife conservation. Sportsmen and women are the ones paying for it, folks. You guys and gals are. So pat yourselves on the back. Uh, we gotta, we got to take a break here. I could, t- I could go on forever. Uh, but we do need to work in a quick commercial break. That segment of the show proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. I'd love to go wolf hunting with Pulsar Thermal, by the way. Uh, but check out the new trail lineup. It's the latest and greatest in thermal imaging technology. And you'll save 20% off your order if you use my Lone Star Outdoors Show promo code. Actually, it's just Lone Star. Use the promo code Lone Star when you check out at PulsarNV.com. That's 20% off any thermal or night vision optic. Actually, if you want to order more than one, 20% off your entire order. Check it out, PulsarNV.com. Let's take a break. Up next, uh, we'll discuss the dead zone that exists in the Gulf of Mexico right now. It's the size of the state of Vermont. Bad news for fish and aquatic species and the fishing and shrimping industry. Louisiana State University's Dr. Nancy Rabelais is the authority on dead zones, and she'll break it down for us next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. It's too late. It's all gone. You had your chance. You took too long. 
Hey y'all, Cable here for Accelerate Auto Group, owned by my childhood baseball buddy. They're a full-service dealership and service restoration and customization facility in Garland, specializing in cool truck customizations, lift kits, performance upgrades. They'll even Kevlar your entire truck or its bed. The perfect heavy-duty finish for hunting and fishing. Accelerate Auto Group also offers 100% custom truck builds. The sky is the limit. Visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com or call 469-300-9669 today. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. For the south coast of Texas, that's a thin slice of life. It's salty and hard, it is stern as a knife. Where the wind is for blowing up, Hurricanes were showing, snakes how to swim, and the trees how to lean. That's the late great Guy Clark bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. Also, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We are all set to take on the Dead Zone. This thing is the size of the state of Vermont, and it exists in the Gulf of Mexico right now. And it is bad, bad news for fishermen, uh, both recreational and commercial, and also shrimpers, crabbers, you name it. Uh, nothing can survive down here. And, and it's man-made. And we'll tell you how this has happened and what is the root of this evil, <laughs> if you want to call it that, because it has nothing to do with people on the Gulf Coast. It's coming from the Midwest. So... Uh, some interesting stuff coming up here momentarily with uh, Nancy Rabelais, uh, LSU professor, uh, Dr. Rabelais, actually. Uh, but before we jump into that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by the Drive Over Chalk. Whether you're hauling an ATV, Jeep, golf cart, four-wheeler, or otherwise, the Drive Over Chalk helps protect that investment. Simply screw it in to your flatbed trailer uh, and then drive over it. It's that simple. It chocks your vehicle in place so that it is secure on your journey. And here's the cool thing. You'll get free shipping right now if you order and tell them that you heard about it on the Lone Star Outdoors show. And you can do that by going to driveoverchalk.com. Dock it with the driveover chalk. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest here to talk about the situation that is going on in the Gulf of Mexico. It's my pleasure to welcome marine biologist uh, Dr. Nancy Rabelais of Louisiana State University. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for contacting me. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I hope you are having a great summer. I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> are you teaching classes? It's a, 
It's a hot one. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. No, no, I teach in the fall. Okay, okay. And uh, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself as far as uh, a marine biologist. And I know you're, I think I read in your uh, bio that you're actually from Texas. I am from Texas. My accent would probably tell you that. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I've been in Louisiana almost as long now, though. I'm a professor at LSU. Mm-hmm. And I also work with the Louisiana University's Marine Consortium. I've been in the field for about 40 years now. And for 34 of those years, I've been working on the low oxygen in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh So we have a very long-term data set that shows the size by year. And then we have all kinds of other research that's been conducted and published. Yes, ma'am. And so you're basically talking about these dead zones, which uh, you are the authority, really, on uh, when people look for predictions on how big the dead zones are going to be, they come to you. Uh, Explain to our listeners exactly what that dead zone is, and I believe it's caused by hypoxia, um, which I'll let you explain how all of that works together. Right. Well, hypoxia means low oxygen. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't usually call it the dead zone, except that's what people know it as, because there is life in the upper water column. It's just that the oxygen in the bottom is not sufficient for a trawler to catch any shrimp or bottom fish. The The cause is twofold. There's the physics of the system, where you have less salty warmer water on the surface and saltier, cooler water on the surface, and that creates a two-layer system that prevents that oxygen from getting to the bottom. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the fresh water from the Mississippi River brings in a lot of nutrients, nitrogen and fertilizer. Those fuel the growth of single-celled algae called phytoplankton, and there's so much nitrogen and phosphorus that the the food web, basically all the things that eat it and pass it up to the food web is too much. And so a lot of that material gets to the bottom. And bacteria in the bottom consume that flux of phytoplankton. Mm-hmm. And in that process, they use up oxygen. They're like us. They need oxygen to survive and they convert it to Uh, carbon dioxide. The surface waters are just the opposite. The single-celled phytoplankton take in CO2 and generate oxygen. So different processes working at the surface and the bottom. So that two-layer system is present from the spring through the summer and then into the fall. And during that time, you can have the low oxygen towards the bottom. And it can be anywhere from 12 feet depth or sometimes right up to the beach or it can be in 180 feet Hmm. and it spans from the Mississippi River Delta towards the west and we have mapped it as far as um, just past Galveston Bay. Wow. Wow. So it's a large area. Uh Now that doesn't have anything to do with the red tide that we see on the Texas coast sometimes, does it? Not exactly, but sometimes those red tides, besides being toxic to fish, Mm -hmm. 
uh, fish avoid eating them, so some of those phytoplankton sink to the bottom and can contribute to low oxygen. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, and I told you I was coming back from, we we just did a family uh, beach trip to Mississippi, and we're coming through Louisiana, stopped at a gas station, and this article just hit me in the face. It was on the front page of the uh, Baton Rouge uh, Advocate, and I said, man, I wonder if our listeners even know that these dead zones exist, and the um, kind of the, the chain effect that results from right. it as far as the fishery goes, because like you said, uh, fish can swim out of it. Um, I did read that it will retard their growth if some of the smaller ones can't, you know, like juveniles won't maybe be able to swim out of it. Um, But as far as oysters, shrimp, crab, you know, um, one crabber, Louisiana crabber said he's pulling up just pots of dead crab. If if the low oxygen water encroaches into the shallow waters, then yes, it will kill off crabs in in their traps. Oysters are usually a little bit further inland in fresher waters than mm-hmm. what's right at the coast, so they're not not normally affected. The so the blue crabs can be affected if they're in a trap, and they can also be affected offshore because they have to move out of the low oxygen. Other things um, like red well shrimp absolutely are affected by it because if it's less than two our value for hypoxia then the shrimp will leave the area usually towards the shore and also to the offshore okay so that makes a large area that is not suitable habitat for shrimp crabs because blue crabs feed on the bottom Mm mm-hmm um, also, things like red snapper, red drum, croaker, the the typical things that you would find on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, it's no secret that uh, the seafood industry in Louisiana, that's big business. I mean, there's thousands of people that depend on that. Right. Uh, so, and, and this isn't exclusive just to Louisiana, like you said, all the way to Galveston, as far as uh, in some instances. Now, this 2017, I keep calling it a dead zone. I'm not sure That's what. That's okay. The, um, but you you've predicted this one could be the biggest on record. It could be, and and to uh, also explain the geographic range, sometimes it is found east of the river, huh. off of Mississippi and Alabama. And that's usually when the Mississippi River is in flood stage. There's four separate models that predict the size, and I think all of them, they've come up with a prediction that ranges anywhere from 23,000 square kilometers to 26,000 square kilometers, as large as the state of Vermont. Wow. Now, we had a tropical storm come through, and it went into the... Cameron and Galveston area, and it probably stirred up the water and broke down that two-layer system. So that two-layer system is going to have to reestablish itself Hmm. for the low oxygen to occur again. And I know from our our part of the Louisiana shelf between the Mississippi River and the Atchafalaya that the water has settled down and that hypoxia has come in, come back into occurrence because there's still plenty of organic matter at the bottom to fuel the bacteria that consume the oxygen. Hmm. This is okay. It's fascinating. It's a little, uh, it's a little more, I don't want to say wordy, but, uh, 
it's not our typical uh, conversation that we have on the show, but like I said, it's uh, it's one that people need to be aware of. And right. in reading this article, uh, a lot of this is from the I-states, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, soybean and corn production. That's where these uh, a lot of the fertilizer and chemicals get dumped into the river. Um, correct. From the watershed gets into the Mississippi. That comes all the way down to the coast. Right. Um, they're not the ones paying for it, though. It's the it's it's us, the folks on the coast, that are having to deal with it. Well, there are two different economies. There's the farm economy, and then the shrimping economy in the in the Gulf of Mexico. And the and the agricultural economy is worth much more money than the shrimp fishery. It, it's a, it's an issue that involves people in the Midwest. Now, the U.S. Geological Survey has done a very detailed accounting of where all the nutrients come from, and yes, you targeted the Midwest, and for the nitrogen, over 50% of it comes from corn, soybean rotation, and other crops, and not quite that much for the phosphorus, but then the phosphorus also has uh, manure and cattle operations or feedlot mm-hmm. operations. So that contributes. Some of it comes from burning of fossil fuels, and some of it comes from municipal wastewater treatment, but that's usually less than 10% of the total load. Hmm. Okay. Well, they did a study, or I guess maybe the Chesapeake Bay was having the same similar issue. Yes. And they, according to this piece here, uh, they were able to, to clean that up. I'm not saying they got rid of it, um, but they've made a dent in the problem. I don't know if that's possible in our situation they, down here on the Gulf Coast. Well, they did. They had a five-state agreement. All the governors agreed, and they worked at reducing their nitrogen and phosphorus loads. A lot of that could be, in their case, attributed to cities. So better wastewater treatment, but about a third of the inputs in the Chesapeake come from agricultural activities. So everybody is joining in to try to stem the flow in the Chesapeake Bay. The Mississippi is a much larger watershed. Mm -hmm. It has many more states, and there is a federal state task force that has engaged at least the states on the main stem of the river into agreements to reduce their nutrient loads and to get the area to less than 5,000 square kilometers. Wow. But the estimate this year is five times that amount. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And a, a big social, political economy to make a difference in. Yes, ma'am. Well, okay. Well, fascinating stuff. Um, like you said, 2017 predicted to be the largest dead zone on record uh, as long as you've been doing this or 2000 which over 30 plus years right um and uh it was just something that i found a little bit concerning um well I, texas texas should be concerned as well it it's not as well known in texas mm-hmm. as it is in louisiana and even nationally but there have been some major floods on the trinity the brazos the Colorado rivers, which have resulted in low oxygen areas, offshore Texas in that area. They're not as large. They're not as long-lived, but still the same issue. Hmm. Okay. Hypoxia, that's the word. That's the the situation. Well, it's a, it's a medical term, which 
you know. If, oh, sure, sure. If you're being stank, if you're being strangled, right, then you're not going to have enough oxygen to yeah. survive. Yeah. But everything has to have oxygen, so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Well, well, it's important. I mean, I like to eat seafood as much as the next guy, and I like to think that we're going to take care of the folks who, you know, make a living. Uh, right trawling or you know catching even commercial fishermen um as well so it's uh something worth visiting and uh, about and we certainly do appreciate your time hopefully we can get uh all of these states along the uh mississippi river watershed to come up with some kind of collaborative effort to you know at least help try to make a difference and get th- get things going in the opposite direction yes there are some smaller efforts towards more sustainable agriculture, but that's not the majority of what's happening in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, it's uh, it's interesting to say the least. So we certainly do appreciate your time today. Well, I hope the next time you drive through Baton Rouge and pick up a Sunday paper, there's not anything about the dead zone on the front page. <laughs> I do as well. Well, we certainly appreciate it, Nancy. Okay, you're welcome. We only have this one planet, so we need to do what we can. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right, there she goes, Dr. Nancy Rabelais of LSU. Good stuff there. Sorry if it got a little wordy, though. (laughs) Some of the uh, terminology as far as, uh, especially uh, explaining the process of how this whole thing occurs. Uh, But bad news, I mean, size of Vermont, that's a big chunk of the ocean that is essentially dead. Nothing can survive there. Uh, So I think that we need to figure out a way to prevent that from happening, or at least, like we talked about, decreasing the size of those dead zones. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen my custom 7 mag by now. It's what I'm taking to Africa next week. That thing is attack driver. If you're looking for a new custom rifle, then go no further than Horizon Firearms. They're located in College Station, Texas. You tell them the caliber and what you want in a rifle, and they get it done. They did it for me. They'll do it for you. Horizonfirearms.com. Uh, okay, let's take a break. Up next, we'll get into those summertime blues. Talk a little catfishing with our old friend Greg Pavor right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. All that I got. Maybe it's forever, but maybe it's just tonight. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. 
Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. JB and the Moonshine Band bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and the good folks over at Hoff Power Polaris. We are all set to uh, talk a little summertime blue cat fishing as man, the dog days of summer are here. So we will get into those summertime blues momentarily. But before we do that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion and San Antonio, Texas, two locations. I've been using Josh and Becky Gunther now for God, six years, seven years. They've been taking care of all of my mounts from black bear to whitetail to axis deer, uh, speckled trout from the coast, other exotics, you name it. If I want to put it on the wall, they take care of it, and they do it in a timely manner and offer impeccable quality. If you're looking for a great taxidermist to do your next trophy mount, no matter what the species is, check them out at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He is a longtime friend of the show, uh, long before there was a Lone Star Outdoors show. Actually, I met Greg Pavor. Back around oh, 2005 or 2006, uh, he was a senior in high school. I was a senior in college, and we met uh, looking at teal decoys at a local sporting goods store. Became fast friends, started duck hunting, and never looked back. And fast forward to today, Greg has a successful uh, fishing and outfitting guide service out of Seymour, Texas. And so joining us now to break down those summertime blues it's my pleasure to welcome back our old buddy Greg Pavor to the show. Oh, good morning, Cable. Always, always good talking with you, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Looks like you had a nice trip up to Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I got to go up there and do a little bit of trout fishing. It's always nice to get away and catch some of those trout, man. It's very good eating. Yeah. What part of Colorado did you go to? Well, I stayed around Denver, uh-huh. um, Green Mountain Reservoir, Aurora Lake. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Now, yep. I've eaten fresh red snapper sushi or sashimi <laughs> right on the boat when we've gone out of, you know, Port Aransas or on, on the Texas yeah. coast. I've uh, never done it with rainbow trout. I was watching your Instagram video. Uh, it looked pretty good. Dude, it was delicious, man. You know, most rainbow trout, you don't get that uh, pink of meat and, and orange, uh-huh. and real deep orange. And, um, you know, some of those lakes up there, they're so... They're so deep and so clear, and the lake I was on in particular doesn't allow any motor boats on it, electric boats only, and um, very clean lakes, and um, that meat, most rainbows, you won't see that dark of orange. Oh, no. And, uh, it looked like salmon. I was, yeah, it was it was delicious, man. I, I really, I ate, I ate the whole fish. It was so good, <laughs> and, and I'm still here uh, several days later, not sick, healthy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was it was really good, no no lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, it looks <laughs> awesome. I imagine uh, you probably caught some flack from the catch and release folks who are like watching you eat this fat rainbow trout. But, uh, you know, it's all good with eat, me. Man. I'd rather eat those trout than eat the trout in the store. I'll tell you that. Oh hell yeah! And you know, I always say breeders ain't eaters. Everything else is fair game. So you know, let the trophy <laughs> put the trophies back and take whatever you take your limit. Hell, I don't care. Take whatever you want. Um, yes, sir. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what they're there for. God put them here for us to eat them. Uh, but I do like to put the trophies back so someone else can catch them and they can spawn another day. And I know you do that you as bet. well on your uh, on all of your catfish trips. So Yep, mm-hmm. sure do. Which is what I wanted to talk about today. Summertime blues, uh, that's what you're fishing for predominantly uh, right now. And it looks like you've had some pretty good trips of late. Yeah, sure have. Um, uh, fishing's been good this summer. And actually, the quality's been up from previous summers usually in the summertime you catch a little bit less quality you know a lot of the fish between one and four pound range but this summer been getting a lot between the four and the ten pound range some really nice good solid fish you know the lakes have been up for the past several years uh all the lakes i'm fishing are still full and um the fish are just fat healthy and growing fast right on right on well so tell us you know where you're finding these fish well, blue cast zero spawn March and April. Um, it's been several months, um, a few months since I've cleaned a blue cat or 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 blue cat with eggs. You know, I've cleaned a channel cat with eggs here a month ago, but haven't here recently. Um, but the blue cats are all wrapped up. They're on their summertime pattern. Yep. You know, these lakes are getting pretty hot now. Anywhere from 85, I've seen 96 degrees. You know, the surface temperature, and um, so the, the blues are getting in their summertime pattern, and uh, with the lakes full, um, it could be it could take a little bit of work to find them. But once you find them, um, you're liable to get into a good mess of them. Well, okay. So send us GPS coordinates first, and then tell us. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell us what depth. On, what depth are you finding most quality uh, keepers? Well, right now I'm fishing a lot, about two to six foot of water. Uh-huh. Um, you can find them out there in that deeper water during the middle of the day, you know, 20 to 30 foot, but it's so hot during the daytime. So I mainly fish in the evening and at nighttime. Mm-hmm. You know, right when that sun goes down, about an hour before the sun goes down to around midnight um, is when I catch most of my fish. And it uh, seems always like after 1230, get closer to one, the fish kind of slow down. But... um you know, the evening nighttime trips, it, they're so comfortable, especially if you've got a little wind on the lake. Um, it beats sitting out there in 100-degree weather. But uh, th- with the lakes being so full, if you can find some sort of structure with the willow trees, a lot of lakes right now have good lily pads, cattails. You know, those lily pads provide shade and cover. It's a little cooler underneath them. Uh, you can fish the edges of those. Um, but wind-blown areas with uh, willow trees and creek channels and and stuff like that are good areas. So these mm-hmm. catfish are predominantly chasing shad up into the shallows? Yep. Yep, they're feeding on shad right now, and, and especially um, uh, a lot of the bugs, um, too. And then if you got a lake that just came up, you know, some of the flooded grass and flooded areas, they'll be up in and, and eating. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, so what bait are you using? Right now I'm using all shad, um, uh-huh. cut shad. Uh, the blues, they are predator fish. Um, they don't just feed off the bottom. Um, they, they do chase and find shad, go after them. And so I, I always catch fresh shad and cut them up and use that for bait. Okay. Okay. And what size hook 
Uh, and I imagine you're using a circle hook. Yep, I use circle hook. I use an ADOC M Gatsu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and when these blue cats hit it this time of year, are they hammering it, or is it more of a subtle? Uh, you know, during the daytime, it is kind of a subtle, you know, they're just, you know, right, you know, get a couple hours before the sun goes down, the bite's kind of slow, they're kind of, you know, nibbling at it, sucking the guts out, but after, after it gets dark, definitely have been having some fish really hammering the rods, uh, and that always gets you excited, and <laughs> never know how big of a fish uh, is going to be on, and uh, previous trips, uh, almost... Most of the trips here lately have been having one in the teens, um, and a lot just good quality fish. Uh-huh. But um, okay. they have been hammering it at the nighttime, but daytime, you know, they'll be, you know, they'll just kind of chew on it and yeah. be a light bite. But so you don't, but you don't have to set the hook. I mean, most people will tell you, obviously, with a circle hook. I mean, that's a that's a live bait or dead bait hook, um, and so the fish typically sets the hook on itself. Um, now, I mean, is that pretty much? Do you, you tell your your clients, hey, you you don't have to jerk on it, or uh, talk well, with the that. circle hooks? Um, it is like to say, you know, it is a very the different way of fishing. It's not your typical J hook. When the fish pulls, you pull back. Um, I know you don't hard. know anything about bass fishing because you don't you don't like bass. You call them green. No. You call them green. <laughs> Green trash fish. <laughs> oh man, that, that's best bait. That's best bait in the world, man. <laughs> of course, joking. he's kidding. He's kidding. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but you don't have to set the hook like you would jerk back on a largemouth. No, you sure don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we are almost out of time here, Greg. Um, how long will these fish stay up in the shallows? As far as you know, the nighttime pattern that you're on right now, two to six foot of water. Um, when will they start to move out deeper? Well, they really move out deeper during the middle of the day and then they move up the shallows at night, but pretty much all summer, mm-hmm. um, you know, about August, September, um, mm-hmm, okay. pretty much all summer as the water stays hot, but awesome. nighttime shallow and daytime deeper. Mm-hmm. All right. And you know, I always like to ask you at the end, give us uh, cause you like to cook about as much as I do. And so, you know, I always enjoy seeing your wild game dishes, whether it's catfish or crappie or wild hog or whatever. Um, with, give us your favorite blue cat uh, recipe that you're making right now. And keep in mind that it's really hot outside, so something fresh and light. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, um, I, last time I gave you my coconut catfish recipe, oh, yeah. I've been trying to really get into the blackened catfish. I really like blackened catfish a lot. Uh-huh. And, you know, you can use your favorite blackening seasoning and do it in the skillet or on the grill. And then uh, just with some steamed vegetables and some fruit, you know, some cantaloupe or cold watermelon, it's a real nice summer uh, dinner. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Delicious, my friend. Well, hey, buddy, we certainly appreciate it. If you want to give your contact info, if folks want to book a catfishing trip or a hog hunt, uh, you do it all. So how can they get a hold of you? Yes, sir. They can call me at 940-206-6375, or they can look me up online on my website at poutdoors.com. Awesome. And I will say this, uh, because we have so many people that listen to the show outside of Texas on the on the podcast, uh, at Greg's Lodge there in Seymour, Texas, he has a map of the United, well, of North America, and he has little pins from his clients that have traveled from all over 
the country. Uh, Greg, where, how, what percentage of your clients would you say for hog hunts are out of Texas? Oh, most of them, about 75% of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they come all, yep. People come from all over the country to come hunt our feral hogs, and we just kind of treat them like uh, a nuisance almost. So, You know, and everyone from that comes from out of Texas, you know, like we cook up the pig, um, try some while they're here. They love it. The pigs are very tasty, and they all bring it back to them, bring it back to wherever they came from. Mm-hmm. Yep. And last time, let's see, we came down during duck season and did a couple duck hunts. In January. August. January, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, our friends, uh, Sean and, and his buddies from uh, Missouri, met us down there. Yep. So, uh, just for example. And they're coming back again. Yeah. Yep, yeah. you got to put, you got to put those dates on your calendar. We got to do it again this January. Looking mm-hmm. forward to it, brother. Well, hey, we appreciate awesome. it, Greg. All right. Thank you, Cable. You have a good day. All right. There he goes, our longtime friend and outfitter, Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors. Awesome stuff there. Love talking catfishing and hog hunting with Greg. Uh, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. Yeah, of course, they've been making feeders and deer blinds for a long time. They're the best of the best. But did you know they also specialize in barbecue pits and smokers? That's right. It's grilling and smoking season, y'all. Time for that backyard barbecue. Cook up that wild game you harvested last season. Invite your friends and family over. Grab a cooler of Lone Star beer and fire up the all-season smoker. Check it out. They've got a full lineup of smokers and grills, and you can find them all right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. Man, just looking at the clock here, we got to go, got to get out of here. My least favorite part of every show is saying goodbye. So thanks to all of our guests for their contribution to today's broadcast. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Can you hear me? My fool that goes up and down.